From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Okay, okay, Basil Valentine, amazing segment. Great analysis. I mean, we did pretty much a 360 uh, prism view, if you will, of the situation right now in the Middle East and Gaza. There's a lot of things that are just underreported about that. That's just un- un- unfortunately a sad indictment of the Western media environment that we live in. I would like to think it would have gotten better uh, over the years, but in fact, it's gotten worse. Uh, so thank you for independent media. There's still some honest independent media journalists and hosts out there, and they have held the line on the truth. And so our, we tip our hats to them. You know, when things like this happen in history, when there's tough, tough events like this, these are events that really stress uh, our institutions. Uh, they stress our government institutions. They also stress our media institutions. There's a lot of pressure that's put to bear on media institutions uh, to report a certain way or to not talk about certain things. And, of course, we have experience with different crises over the years uh, and wars and so forth. And we mentioned that yesterday. Uh, that's just a reality. So, But this is the time when you actually figure out what kind of a journalist you are, what kind of an organization you are, what sort of a media platform you are, of whether you can withstand that pressure or not. Because these moments in history only come but once in a generation. And so it's, you know, I think, experienced veteran reporters who, whereby this is not their first rodeo. Um, This is why they're so important in our society. Veteran anchors, veteran journalists, ones with integrity, because they remember the Iraq war. They remember the pressure that was on journalists to report the WMD story, to get on board with uh, Bush and Cheney. And to, you know, bomb those hajis, the towel heads, as they called them. That's what Americans were calling Arabs uh, back in 2003, post 9-11, towel heads, hajis, turn Iraq into a glass crater, etc. Okay. A lot of pressure was put on journalists, people to conform to this narrative of revenge. We need to get back at them for 9-11. So those who basically held their integrity are now regarded, they're still collecting awards, they're now regarded as great journalists. They're now regarded as respected people. People like John Pilger, a great Australian documentary filmmaker, uh, is respected because he took the difficult positions over the years and he took the flack. Uh, he, he, he lost opportunities. He was ostracized by his peers and colleagues. Um, but his career is undeniable in terms of how often he was correct and how often he was right. Okay, those are journalists and broadcasters with integrity. And this is what happens. You're tested. And a big test came on October 7th. A big test came. You know, you might not get that opportunity to be tested, but that's what makes the organization. That's what makes the broadcast journalist. The strong ones can stand up in the heavy winds who can steer their path, be it their 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 website, their newspaper their show, their channel. They can steer it through the rough waters. How do you steer through the rough waters? You ballast the ship with the truth, with, with, with good research, with skepticism, with, with courage, quite frankly. 
Okay. Then there's all the other ships that slosh around and will go whatever the direction the wind is blowing with power, with mainstream media and government, wherever the propaganda is blowing, they'll just pitch their sail and take the easy ride. They'll just take the easy ride. There's too many people who do that. That's the easy thing. That's why so many do it because it's easy. What I said before is difficult. So when you really take the flack, when you're really getting hit hard and you, the, you, people are literally pressuring you to change the way that you report or to not talk about certain things because it's, it's upsetting people or they're getting, you know, they, they're getting too much flack and they can't take the pressure. This is the world out there. Okay. And if you think if you're sitting pretty in some Western denizen and you think it's hard, you think it's hard as a, as a, as a media outlet, a journalist or whatever, you think it's tough. You think that's a big challenge. You're getting a few emails or, you know, you're getting phone calls or you're getting people throwing temper tantrums uh, because they, you know, support Israel or they support the United States or the U.S. military. You get veteran U.S. military veterans that are just gagging for the next war. They're, they're, they're in the front of the line complaining about people's coverage on this, saying that they're, uh, they're, they're being too pro-Hamas. Ridiculous, okay? that that's the majority of the energy that's going on these the, in the direction on these and the minority and you can see them these are the scott ridders of the world okay and a few others like dd geopolitics on twitter uh and other great journalists and analysts many of whom we've had on this program okay they're doing the hard part okay they're going to get through this and they're going to come out the other end uh, experienced with a bit more fortitude and integrity, okay? And everybody else has some big lessons to learn. You got some big lessons to learn. We'll be lucky if we avoid World War III. But let me tell you this. Anybody who's been pushing the lies and the propaganda, if there is World War III, or anybody who's caved and has been censoring their, their channel or their journalists or whatever, Okay, they're part culpable for the World War III that comes after. Okay, everybody's hands are dirty. If you've been parroting Israeli propaganda, you're culpable for if if we'll, if this does escalate to World War III, you're partly guilty for this because you could have helped to stop it, nip it in the bud from the beginning. Because, but that would have been hard because then you have to go against the grain. You have to go against the mob the mainstream media, government, okay? But those who didn't hesitate, who passed the Rorschach test, this is the Rorschach test of geopolitics, of journalism. Israel-Palestine is a Rorschach test. Yeah. You could have passed the Ukraine test. You could have passed the COVID test and the vaccine test, but failed the Gaza test. And unfortunately, uh, the stakes are high. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody did it. And uh, yeah, it's it's sad. We hope that uh, this does not escalate. But if it does, it's big lessons to be learned. I hope that we're still alive to learn them. To be honest, I I really do. But we need to have a you know big internal conversation as a society, and also the media. The media needs to have an internal conversation about what the hell they're doing. And why are we in this? 
people and why are people in it to have fun are they in it just to impress their friends are they in it to push a political partisan agenda or are you in it because you want to be a good journalist and you want to report the facts and the truth and you want to speak truth to power and you want to go against the grain you want to go against the mainstream narrative against governments pushing back against propaganda that's real journalism and there's so few people that are willing to do that these days sadly sadly and that means you need to suspend all of your tribal loyalties if you have any tribal loyalties or partisan loyalties are you going to be you know easily cajoled to go in one direction or another because you're afraid of you know falling out of favor with the team red or team blue or whatever uh, then you're in the wrong game you shouldn't be in journalism or you're just pretending to be in journalism you're pretending to be doing uh media with integrity okay you're just playing house at that point and so many people in the mainstream media that's exactly what they're doing and the reason the world is in the state it is is because of people like this i blame the media i blame them before i blame politicians because guess what politicians are going to do what politicians do they'll say what they need to say to get from 8 a.m to 8 p.m to get through the next day and they'll change their mind they'll pivot they'll lie they'll make things up that's what political people do they're not anchored by any ethics and morals just generally that's what they do that's part of the job so politicians are going to do what they do governments will do what governments do governments will only move when they're pressured by the people but when will the people pressure governments to move in the right direction if the people are acting on correct information where do they get their information from the media from the media so the power is in the information space the power is in the media who makes up the media journalists broadcasters producers so if you have any out of that trifecta if you have journalists broadcasters and producers who aren't ethical who don't care about the information and who are just basically pretending to be journalists then that's going to the whole system breaks down that's how important the free press is it's so important our founding fathers in the united states specifically mentioned it in the u.s constitution arguably the great the greatest political document in modern history specifically mentions freedom of the press i take that seriously it means something to me because i know that it is the bedrock and foundation of a functioning constitutional republic you can't have a free society or a government that fears the people if you have a press that's in the tank with the establishment. You can't. It won't work. It doesn't happen. But so often this is the case. And that's why we're in the, you know what, that we're in right now. Quite simply, it's, it's, it's as easy as that to understand. So we're calling out for people, try to understand what has just happened the last two weeks you don't get these opportunities all the time in life as a society as individuals as a government collectively this is when we need to learn these lessons folks because it's going to happen again and it can be a lot worse the second time around if we haven't learned our lessons let's take a break with tnt today's news talk i'm patrick henningson your host we'll be right back with our research assistant christian james after the break stick around Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers 
mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. Patrick Henningsen, your host here. This is TNT Today's News Talk, live broadcast Thursday, live streams. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. I see you guys in there. I haven't dropped any links for you in there today, uh, but we might do before the end of the show. I want to drop you this uh, Ukrainian story as well. Christian might also have a few links to drop in there. Christian James, our research assistant for the show, is joining us on the live link right now. Christian, how you doing? I'm really good. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, how are you today on this uh it's quite good today weather-wise here. How about you? That's very rare in the UK, isn't it? it? It's uh, That's quite a treat. It has been. The last like two or three weeks, um, it's your back-to-back day-to-day, like uh, flooding every day, uh, awful weather and awful rain. But uh, thankfully, I live on top of a hill, so it's not really an effect for me. But I know for many, it, it has been absolutely awful. I tell the houses like washed out. But uh, no, it's not bad today. Well played, well played. That sounded like a flooding sound effect in the background there for a moment. There. <laughs> but so, so good on you to 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 get uh, housing on the high ground, Christian, so you will not be uh, carried away at the deluge there when the uh, tsunamis hit the midlands of Britain. But uh, <laughs> so, 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 so when climate change comes into effect, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. When net zero fails, 
when all those net zero policies are upended, uh, then you guys are really in trouble, aren't you? Okay. So, <laughs> so um, I, I wonder, well, I would talk about, actually, I might talk about David Cameron later. He, he sort of like raised his head on the Israel-Gaza issue. I thought that was interesting. This is the minister that lives in the House of Lords. This strange creature they've uh, drafted in to be foreign secretary uh, brought him back from the dead. Like Lazarus, they rise again, don't they, in politics. So, Christian, um, uh, the other thing is on the issue, I, I know there's a few interesting stories that I want to get to that I know that you're going to be wanting to talk about. But um, on the issue of online censorship and free speech, the front line, a lot of people are going to acknowledge, Christian, that the front line on this is the UK. Okay, Brussels too, Brussels too, but especially Britain, because so often with all of these sort of extreme anti-civil liberties policies, Britain kind of leads the way. It's almost like the beta testing ground for so many of these. Um, so I, I guess... You know, there's a sort of strong authoritarian vein in there when it comes to surveillance, let's say. They, they've led the world in CCTV cameras. They've led the world in, you know, dragnet digital spying. They do a lot of work for the NSA, the stuff that we can't do in America. We basically, if we want to wiretap somebody, we just get GCHQ to do it. Okay, that's that's the arrangement. So they, they've led, they lead in all these areas there. But on the issue of censorship, it's also getting more tightly controlled. The online harms legislation Britain's been pushing through, the EU Digital Services Act in Brussels, that's not looking very friendly either in terms of free speech and social media online. Um, what are your general thoughts on this right now and late, latest developments, Christian? Well, in terms of the latest developments, as you know, the uh, the online safety bill passed a few weeks ago. Uh, it has received, uh, it went to royal ascension, as they call it. So the king has signed off on the, that being now in place. And there's lots of um, aspects to that which uh, will certainly affect uh, a great number of people in the UK, and particularly journalists as well. Um, so the, the one thing that really bothers me a lot, as you mentioned quite clearly there, is uh, the standards of censorship. So uh, we have, uh, so from my understanding, in the US, uh, there is still particularly guides around uh, speech being offensive. Uh, the First Amendment prevents that and protects that. But in the UK, you can already be punished with punished for online statements that a court can deem to be grossly offensive like we have the 2003 communications act but this would expand beyond that so it would potentially could transform into how social networks uh, do work and operate into like a censorship tool it means that you know potentially like the likes of x facebook and so on effectively have to do what the government in the uk say in regards to how people need to be protected. Um, we know that uh, particularly the UK government is trying to go after the back channels of, of, of Facebook and uh, again of X, and uh, just to try and understand how those encryption systems work. I mean, Britain basically wants a backdoor into those. So presently they are still um, are free and available to some degree, um, but the present time that is certainly under um, official kind of scrutiny. They want backdoor access to that. I did see the week before last, uh, a meta uh, person was actually in a session uh, in Parliament, uh, basically saying that, no, you're not having backdoor access to this. Apple was there as well. Um, so clearly the UK really wants in, um, but right, um, but that's not happening as yet. Um, and that really is kind of the front line. These companies basically are deciding to say, no, we are private companies. We want our customers and our users to be protected. You are not allowed into into the screens behind here that it's not fair and it's against privacy and so on because we are us companies and we are protected by uh, the first amendment so you can't touch us at the moment but of course as you said there the uk european union obviously want that access to find out what people are talking about 
Yeah, and is 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 that all it is? To, to they want to know what people are thinking, what people are talking about. I mean, in America, we have thing called probable cause. Christian, uh, you, I think theoretically you've got that in Britain too, but I don't know if it's even even applicable anymore. But so probable cause, then they would go and get a FISA warrant or some kind of a warrant for you know wiretapping or like to ask for backdoor encryptions. Let's say there's a terrorism a terrorism investigation. Okay. So, but we have a fourth amendment secure in your persons and your, your materials and your things and so forth. So the, the, there's quite a few hoops that the government would have to jump through, uh, in order to get that access. But what you're saying is the British government want direct access anytime they want. Basically that seems to be, and when we say the British want that, who are we talking about Christian? Are we talking about MPs? Are we talking about the deep state, the security state? It's hard to know who we're, when we say the UK or the government or the state, who is it the privy council? Is it the, is it the intelligence services? So who runs the country? That's my question because that that's a big step, isn't it? In terms of civil liberties, Christian, go ahead. Yeah, it is because ultimately the, the fact that people can have conversations in private that, aren't recorded, they're on for the benefits of other people, you know, should be allowed to continue and, and occur. But I guess from the government are saying from a position of um, security, national security, the uh, the health and um, safety of people, is they need access to here because this is where terrorism is occurring. This is where those discussions that are happening, uh, where potentially uh, the lives are at risk of, of a national um, level um potentially we need to be in there we need to understand that surveillance mechanism so we can track that and obviously keep people safe and obviously you, you know the old edaman about um the fact that you know those who trade security you know for, uh, will lose uh, both um, that potentially is going to happen and as in the uk now we have ofcom who who have allowed that to happen that they are now the the police of the internet and um, how that starts to work on an international basis in terms of um, a framework. Um, I don't think that's quite been decided yet, other than they can. Um, so I think we're still going to see quite a bit of time between courts and um, what courts, a battle happening between private companies and the UK government's Ofcom, um, who obviously want that access. But how that happens um, is still, still a bit up in the air, really. There's no real framework as yet that's been battle-tested in the courts yet. Yeah, that's the, uh, the 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 famous adage. I think it was uh, Le, uh, Benjamin Franklin. He said, "If you, yeah. yeah, liberty and security, basically, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety." And you can use the term security there. So that apples, by the way. Pushing, been pushing back consistently that Tim Cook, the CEO previously has made statements of this and the organization to protecting the encryption on their devices for Apple users. So they're looking at it as like Apple wants to build up this trust in the brand, which is very important for Apple. Um, it's different on Android products, Christian, because these are almost like open source platforms now with all these different carriers, all these different sort of other companies working on the Android platform, whereas Apple have this kind of pr special proprietary brand. So for them, uh, you know, and they, they charge more too. So you're paying a premium with Apple. So they don't want to give away uh, privacy maybe as easily as maybe some other people that are maybe on a lower price bracket. You know, they, they don't have that level of brand loyalty, I think, that you have with with Apple. And plus, there's a lot of Chinese products that are excellent 
and they're brilliant, but they're also op on more open source type platforms. So, and the United States government would be able to push a little harder than they would, let's say, with an Apple. So they're kind of leading it. But what you said about Ofcom, Christian, is is disturbing, because if that's where all the energy is, that means that what they're really concerned about, Christian, are narratives. So this is really about propaganda and the pre the preeminence of dominant narratives. The state doesn't want any competition with with the mainstream media and what the government are putting out in terms of narratives. What do you think? Yeah, I do think that that certainly plays into it because it allows you to control um, the narrative not that people can talk about. So effectively, you are censoring what people are talking about in the fringes. Those who like people who talk on the far left, the far right, but also the central point of view. You only want your narrative to be the dominant narrative, and there is no other um, discussion. That, for instance, could could the discussions of what happened regarding COVID have happened? You know, had there only been one narrative? You know, we who knows what our situation would be if there wasn't any counterpoints. Now, wasn't any counter discussions going on? That people obviously took uh, particular brutal uh, lifestyle changes too. Loads of people lost their jobs, and just because they had a different opinion or had some facts to go into that, had it been just one narrative, you know, what what our dire situation would be would be terrible. And that is appears to be what they want to control. They only want to have the one vision, the one health, uh, the one narrative. And I think this would be a certainly a boot to make that happen um under the under our lives i mean so there needs to be a resistance and communication about this but certainly all these different organizations such as like amnesty international uh, the likes of um the mazalor foundation many different companies such as the eff um have made their voices very much known that this is uh, against any kind of civil liberty that we have here in the west no, absolutely. That this is really the front line on this issue is going to be going to be fought. And I'm a big believer, Christian, that um, if some of these companies just basically hold out and do the right thing on behalf of their customers uh, and push back on the government and don't just cave, um, that we actually can get some hopefully some balanced policies on this. Okay, it's never going to be perfect, but you know, government is not perfect. Civil society is not perfect. Life is not perfect. But what it, what we definitely don't want is this full on uh, authoritarian, you know, censorship, backdoor access to everything, massive uh, throttling of conversations and speech and things like that. Listen, the amount of truth on X right now regarding Gaza, I don't know what would it be if, if they had the previous management at twitter under jack dorsey like what this would have been like who knows they probably would have already dropped a nuclear weapon on gaza um it, i just wonder there wouldn't be any pushback because no one would be able to see or know anything they'd probably all be on telegram but it doesn't have the same you know impact politically as a platform like x twitter does okay so facebook's completely controlled instagram completely controlled there's a bit of freedom on tiktok christian a bit more freedom on tiktok just the sheer volume of content on TikTok globally, I think they have problems. Algorithm, automated censorship on that's not that easy with the video format and so forth. So, but X Twitter politically definitely moves the dial on a lot of things because of the velocity of the way how fast information travels on that and opinion and so forth. How fast consensus can be shifted with uh, X Twitter. It's a powerful platform. A lot of people want to get a hold of it. Elon Musk, how long will he maintain uh, independence there? 
before it succumbs to the pressure. Some would argue he already succumbed to the pressure by traveling to meet Netanyahu, been giving his marching orders, and a lot of content's being throttled on X right now. Certainly that's happening to my account and putting sensitive content warnings on all my comment threads. I thought that was interesting. Anybody uh, commenting? Uh, <laughs> so. Does that mean that someone has to manually tag your content? Uh, uh, to make that happen maybe yeah maybe i don't know the rules of this i never paid too much attention to this stuff i just i just do my thing you know like i i don't look at the uh the shadow ban audits and things like that i do notice that the engagement just drops on certain things so you know i maybe i need to i need to work with somebody who can help me with that a little bit more but you know we had huge growth on our account i mean i've had what have i had since since musk let me back on the platform which was uh, 11 months ago, 11, about 11 months ago. Uh, so I had, when I was banned, I had 92,000 followers. When Musk let me back, it was down to like 86. It was like, yeah, so there's like 6,000 shaved or whatever. So that was back in January of 2023. So here we are 11 months later, I have 150,000 followers on Twitter. So I've had a pretty good growth of, yeah, about 50, 50, 60,000, 60 plus thousand followers in the last eight, uh, 11 months. So I've had good growth on, on X Twitter, but. Uh, I do wonder those yeah. 6,000 you may have lost, you know, obviously in that period of time when you went down from 92 to 86 there. Do you think they would have been bot accounts? Do you think they may have been, you know, old, alternative voice accounts who basically found themselves censored and yeah, cut off from probably, the platform as well? Yeah, probably called, probably called through the various callings that they did under Dorsey probably happened around the same time as as mine got called probably pretty much i found out i was actually on the government's list of targets um when matt taibbi put out the uh, twitter files so uh that, yeah so i was actually on those lists multiple lists actually i was on the first list <laughs> i was on the first list of uh of uh 21st century wire.com on urls and also my twitter account was being mapped by the government's main think tank and what were they upset about? The big problem was our coverage of Syria and the exposure of the white helmets. There you go. That and, of course, a couple of viral articles that absolutely destroyed Hillary Clinton before the election. I'm sure that didn't do me any favors either. But so. She's, she obviously arranges her own watch lists. You know that, right? Yeah, well, they did actually, Christian. You're not you're not wrong there. They had direct access to all this stuff through federal agencies and like direct access into Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube, and all, and LinkedIn. You name it. So anyway, listen, we've got a couple minutes left. Um, there's a there's yeah. an interesting film coming out. I know that you're both of us are kind of into science fiction, of course. Um, what Civil War? What's this about? Well, so I, I tagged you, obviously, in that little video earlier, because uh, the trailer got released uh, last night. It's by Alex Garland. Alex Garland made uh, EX uh, Machina, and he also made Annihilation. Great film. So he, Great films. Brilliant. Yeah, the thought-provoking times for they came out. So this one appears to certainly be stoking a different fire. Of course, the film is Civil War. It's about the U.S. Civil War, the situation between the split-off between certain uh, American states. I believe in the film it, it's going to be Texas and California, with uh, Florida kind of a, as a, also going to join that kind of union, uh, a new flag with two stars and a third star going to be added. So and basically how Washington then seeks to um, eradicate them or consider them to be the enemy. And actually the, the trailer itself shows how the propaganda is, is working. And there's a, there's a particular journalist played by Kirsten Durst who 
was famous obviously for Spider-Man um, as uh, Mary Jane. So she appears to be a journalist kind of trying to maintain a position of looking at objectively, but also looking at both sides and then finding the difficulty that, that she's having trying to uh, keep the narrative straight while experiencing both sides of the um, the frustration just traveling across the country. And I was like, that's a really interesting idea. But then you, the, when the film is about to drop is April. Um, so not only is the, is the film obviously very, um, it's going to cause a lot of tremors with a lot of people. It's Definitely. dropping in April, which generally appears to be the time when the presidential candidates get on the road and start their campaign for the November election. So well, this is well, right at that beginning. Well, no, what that will be, if it's coming out in April, that'll be the tail end of the primaries. So if it's a tight race, um, you know, that the, those sort of films are going to get a lot of attention around sort of March, April, because that's when things after Super Tuesday and all the weak candidates will have dropped out of the GOP. You'll just have the hardcore in. And then that's that's you're right, Christian. That's the sort of the, the, the end run into the convention in the summer. So, yeah, it looks like very interesting. So a little bit of a dystopic uh, view of the future. Americans love this, of course. Um, and also the uh, sequel to Dune is due out eminently as well, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you've seen the first installment of that. I did, yes. That's got very heavy political uh, tones as well. People don't realize how much how much politics is baked in to a lot of these big science fiction epic blockbusters. Dune is no exception to that. But I think part two is coming out. Is it Christmas or New Year's? I think it is just after New Year. This kind of like, there's like, I, th I think there's going to be like kind of a move or a shift towards kind of doomsday genre movies, a bit of what ifs, you know, it should, you know, it happen, you know, should this kind of strange kind of direction happen in the country of the United States? And like I said, doing there is a perfect example because it is a heavily uh, politicized, like uh, political movie with the uh, the shifting families within the movie itself. Um, so how this is going to play out to the 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 general populace's uh, perception of what uh, is going on and how it'll influence them is certainly going to be remarkable to watch yeah uh, ex machina by the way i uh, you mentioned it was out what alex garland film the uh the one about the android um yeah ex machina ex machina as they call it alex garland's film so i i i knew uh one of my friends worked on that film and he said it was interesting the way they shot it i think it was up in scotland they sh they shot it up in the highlands part of it or um, and it was he shot up there. He said nobody understood or knew what was being shot. They had their briefs, you know, and they had stage dressing and props and costumes and all that. He said, but not everybody knew how it was going to be um, edited. And so, uh, with some of this stuff green screened as well, even if you're working on the film, you don't fully get everything. Um, and so they said when it they, they thought it was going to be a fringe film. It's like this bit of a weird one. Not much going on on set. And then the film came out and it was like they were just blown away they're like they didn't realize they had just worked on this epic cult film that was going to change the way people look at ai um so and it was a horrific film actually from a certain perspective it just showed the the dangers of ai and robotics if they get out of control um but yeah so it's it's it's, it's interesting uh, interesting story there. I also worked on another Oscar-winning film called The Imitation Gang, uh, The Imitation Game with Ben Cumberbatch, and that was the same team that uh, worked on Ex Machina as well. So I was I was on their unit uh, for the London unit on that. Um, but that was again an interesting experience. Yeah, I had a little foray in the film industry for a while, uh, which was interesting. Hard work though, Christian. 
up at 4 a.m. <laughs> finished it <laughs> long, eight, days. <laughs> long days. Very tough job. Very tough job. My hat's off to those people. Very, very dedicated. And yeah, they're 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 well paid, but they earn it. They definitely earn it. Uh, but uh, listen, um, Christian, we're gonna we're gonna wrap the segment up here. Uh, appreciate you joining us this week on TNT Today's News Talk. Uh, not a problem, Patrick. I'll speak to you very soon. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Christian James. Let's take a break, though, with the network, and we'll come back with our big international stories. We'll wrap up some of those, tie up some of those things on Ukraine and elsewhere. On the other side, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stick around. We'll be right back. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Apparently, the climate cabal is freaking out. From Al Gore to John Kerry and down to the oddest imported student radical, they're freaking out over the final text as the climate talks in Dubai near their conclusion. At issue is whether the outcome will call for the phase-out of fossil fuels or merely call for fossil fuel reduction and similar, as they put it, weasel words. Either term will leave nations with tons of wiggle room to avoid or delay destroying their economies through energy starvation. And that's the big question. Do you want to starve because you have no energy? Or do you want to continue to eat because you do have energy? Hmm, that is an interesting question. I wonder which one I would choose. As veterans of the UN climate process since the whole shebang began, taking a look at this, we've seen this play out before. No matter what happens, the conference officials will emerge bleary-eyed and proclaim a major victory, leaving it up to the rest of us to sort through what happened and figure it out. Often, as is likely this time, the conference ends in de facto collapse. In fact, Al Gore, that's right, the high priest, said that the conference is on the verge of complete failure because he wants fossil fuels phased out completely. <sighs> I wish Al Gore the best. I hope him a long life, but I wish his presence on the world stage would be phased out. If they could actually agree on that, then it would be a success. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even if you're not in Dubai. It's the only weather you got. Potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back to the second hour of this live broadcast this is actually the home stretch of the final hour here. Great conversation as usual with Christian James, our research assistant for the show. I'm looking forward to that film Civil War, especially during the election cycle. It'd be interesting. Trailer's pretty compelling. Uh, it looks like they're going to inject a little bit of that sort of right wing prepper uh 
stoking the flames a little bit between the extreme left and what uh, is the kind of survivalist right. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. A lot of people have been speculating that uh, there will be a civil war in America, how that would take shape. I think we've already seen pockets of it actually happening already. Um, so, but in terms of broad sweeping, uh, conflagration across the United States at the same time. It's a very big and diverse country. And the reality is most places in this country are pretty, pretty stable, pretty stable. I mean, put your Portland's aside, your sort of crazy places like, uh, Minneapolis, Portland, uh, Oakland, California, parts of Los Angeles. Maybe there's a few other potential candidates in there. New York, parts of New York, maybe, and so forth. A little bit of Chicago, maybe. But overall, America's a pretty placid place. Uh, most people don't want to sort of burn burn the place down. So that's the reality. So that's the dramatic theatrics of uh, cinematics. Mm, might be painting a sort of different picture. It, would Donald Trump be a divisive figure? I mean, would Antifa burn down a few more cities if Trump actually won the elections? Would that cause pitched battles on the street between Republican voters and Democratic voters, that Democrats just not accepting and thinking that Donald Trump is the next Mussolini and Hitler? Again, I go back to our previous discussion. I was talking about this just at the beginning of the hour. Um, you have to blame the media. Because the media are pushing these these talking points out that uh, they've been they were doing this from 2016 that uh, Donald Trump is the next Hitler and he's going to suspend democracy and all this other stuff. We learned the opposite to be true. Uh, Trump was small government. And when the Biden administration came in, you, you saw the real authoritarianism. Um, so uh, again, it's the opposite of what the media are pushing. So again, we blame the media, the media, are the Kings of reality, they create the reality. So if there's going to be a civil war in America, you, you can most certainly going to be blaming the media. Uh, first in the front of the line, there would be CNN stoking it, pushing it, whatever. Uh, then MSNBC probably. Uh, and then the reactionary, of course, the reactionary viewpoint from Fox News, uh, who are just equally as bad right now. If you look at how they're covering uh, the student protests and uh just warping reality basically with the narratives they're constructing so uh left and right media little to be desired to be honest all of them so no respect for any of these people pretty much once in a while they do good work so we sort of give them a little quiet round of applause and we bite our tongue and cross our fingers when we do that because we know that when come, come monday or whenever they're going to be up to their old shenanigans again it's just the way the nature of the beast. What's the old, uh, what's the old Aesop's fable? What's the, the frog wanting to hitch a ride, uh, or the, the scorpion wanting to hitch a ride on the frog across the river, and then the uh, get they get halfway three quarters of the way across, and the scorpion stings the frog. The frog says, "Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why do you sting me? We had an agreement. I was going to take you across the river. Why'd you do it? And he said, well, because I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. I sting. I was going to sting you anyway. It's the way the mainstream media are. They're just, that's just the way they are. So Zelensky's asking for cash and he's doing the rounds on U.S. media. This is such a cringeworthy segment on Fox News. The worst part about this, by the way, we can make fun of Zelensky about his outfits and the fact he's wearing Oshkosh, but Oshkosh. Uh, uh, trousers and he's got like literally size six 
high tech hiking boots on from JC Penney's. I mean, we can laugh about that, but the the real joke is on Brett Bear and Fox because Zelensky's telling like literally provable lies, uh, making stuff up, crazy things he was saying, and and Brett did not push back on him at all. So and Brett Bear is getting paid like four million, five million a year. I don't know what he gets. And for five million a year, you can push back a little bit, right? It's like he's, if they can't fire him for pushing back a little bit, uh, they'll have to buy his contract out if they wanted to. If they were so upset, so Zelensky's talking in his broken English, and he's ba he basically said with a straight face on U.S. national TV yesterday, he basically said that he Ukraine has destroyed most of the Russian fleet at Sevastopol. He said, we have destroyed most Russian fleet that was situated in our waters near occupied Crimea. That was Zelensky. No, they haven't destroyed the Russian Black Sea fleet. Um, and, but he claims that they have destroyed most of the boats. They have hit a few. They've destroyed a few things, but overwhelmingly, no. And he, he's also claimed that, that Ukraine has killed 20,000 members of Wagner. Interesting. That's quite a big claim. Uh, and he says Russia did not occupy any Ukrainian village during the year. That's, of course, not true. And he goes on all of these different sort of tall tales that Zelensky was talking about. His government has declared the city of Bakhmut as an invincible fortress, reportedly ignored repeated U.S. calls to pull troops out. That was a disaster last spring. How many troops did the U.S. lose? And that's the whole point. The real story was Ukrainian losses. But Brett Baer being basically a pushover of a journalist, literally mailing it in, not pushing back on, on Zelensky, he should have said, yeah, but how many Ukrainian troops did you lose in Bakhmut? And the numbers are staggering. I don't know what it was in the end, from beginning to end of these counteroffensive what did they lose in Bakhmut something like 40 or 50,000 or some insane number maybe even higher than that in in and around the area that's the story the story is Ukraine's failure and the west failure to prop them up and the fact that it's all going south right now that's the real story but instead with US mainstream media journalists not doing their job all you get is these talking points which are laughable from Zelensky. I mean, it is pretty incredible what he's he's trying to push across there. So according to our media, uh, we we were reporting for months that Bakhmut, uh, there was some brave, valiant effort by the Ukrainian forces, uh, and this was going to kind of kickstart their counteroffensive. And all, all it turned out to be is a black hole in terms of arms, weapons, men. They sunk everything into that. So that was that was really, if you want to look at a point, an inflection point in the proxy war, where it definitely took the a final turn downwards for Ukraine and NATO. It was back moot. It was back moot. That's how hit. That's how the history books will write it. But the there's there's still propping this up in the West, like it wasn't too bad. And when the Russians are the ones who really, you know, took took the heavy losses there, and it's not it's not the case. So they failed to break through the Russian lines. 
and they retreated, took heavy losses, trying to hold insignificant territory. Uh, it was just a disaster from beginning to end. Uh, Ukrainian losses during that period, we're talking about probably January 2023, and that whole Farago uh, of the, quote, counteroffensive kind of stretched all the way till June, July, when they gave up sort of pretending it was happening. During that period, January 2023, July 2023, so how many months? January, February, March, April, May, June, July, seven months, seven months roughly, genuine estimated losses for Ukraine, I personally would put at around 120,000 men, okay, just during that period, okay. Uh, think about that. The United States lost 56,000 men in Vietnam, but over a 10-year period, and that seemed like the ultimate national disaster in America in terms of, like, military casualties. That's Vietnam. That's, like, etched into our psyche, um, and that, that, like, instructs, all warnings in America and politics and history not to get uh, overextended in any kind of military conflict. You just invoke the memories of Vietnam, 56,000 of our young boys killed, bad move, terrible, whatnot. The numbers that Ukraine's putting up in terms of uh, lost soldiers, I mean, staggering. Real numbers right now to this point where we might even be up to 400,000 men. Okay, that's even an excess of what Iran lost in the Iran-Iraq war, and they took heavy losses, those human waves and all, all the rest of it. That, that horror show in the 1980s, it even exceeds that. It's probably even in excess of what the United States lost, um, at least in the European front in World War II. And again, that's over a... For let's say a four four and a half year period, okay, well in excess of that, okay. So th these are staggering numbers, and nobody wants to talk about it because the minute those numbers get talked about, then it's over. The whole thing's over. The public will immediately reject any involvement in this. We've known this from the beginning, and it's the same kind of game Israel's playing right now. We're downplaying the troop losses, which are arguably. It must be in excess of a thousand. Some will say it's in the thousands, two or three thousand. Nobody will know for sure, as we said in the, as Basil said in the first hour. We'll never know. We'll never. Know. Those aren't the sort of figures that anybody's going to know, uh, because they will really undermine the war effort uh, and undermine whatever else the agenda is uh, regarding Israel. Same, same goes with Ukraine. So Zelensky's in America trying to sell this concept uh, as somehow a good investment. That's what he's doing. And meanwhile, Ukrainian security chiefs, all is not well. All is not well between NATO and Kiev. Ukrainian security chiefs are now basically sniping at NATO, believe it or not. Uh, they're saying that the, the winter cold is settling in, and they're saying that the counteroffensive was a failure, and part of it's because they didn't get the weapons and the support they needed from NATO. And they're also uh, criticizing, and this is when it gets interesting, that NATO's been advising them on military strategy, and Ukraine's just been losing one after another battles. They're losing hundreds of thousands of men. They're now... They're probably not far from picking up 17-year-olds and teenagers uh, to impress them into military service. I mean, that and women. Okay. So 
It's the it's it's the NATO's war textbooks uh, of strategy. That's the problem. Okay, so NATO commanders don't know how to fight wars. When have they ever fought a war? Well, Yugoslavia that was U.S. bombing, so it's just the U.S. softening them up, shock and awe, just like Iraq, waltz in, and you know go find the leader and throw him on trial on the kangaroo court trial. That that's Yugoslavia, Iraq. Okay. What, where, where does NATO have ex- success doing anything? Like, what, 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 what's in their handbooks? Like, how is it applicable to facing off, for instance, against a force like Russia has? It's just not. So th- this is where they're getting the sniping now. So I, I'm going to say a day late and a dollar short for the Ukrainian security chiefs. Like, how come you guys didn't figure this out earlier? You're just as stupid as the NATO strategists that you're taking your marching orders from and why are ukraine's security chiefs and military brass taking their marching orders from nato um surely the ukrainians know their terrain better and they know their enemy better than nato does surely uh i'm i'm gonna say that has to be true that has to be true so why are they then still taking orders and strategy and doing what nato's telling them to do and what the british and the Americans, namely, are telling them to do. And that's because they're getting paid. They're getting paid to take instructions. That's why. Money talks. $110 billion in security funding. This is what they're trying to spin up right now. Okay? And the U.S. brass want to prove that their system works and their weapons work and their strategies work and they don't really care. Ukrainians are going to do what they're told, which is pretty pathetic. So in terms of Ukrainian sovereignty, it's non-existent. It doesn't exist. If you're taking the money and you're, you're taking military strategy and instructions from a foreign country, you're not sovereign. What part of that equation? I, I have this argument with uh, the Ukrainian trolls and NAFO all the time. You're saying Ukraine's not sovereign. You're saying that Zelensky's a Western puppet. Well, yeah, he is. And no, you're not sovereign. If a foreign country is paying your pensions, you're not sovereign, okay? Like, what part of that equation? How is that difficult to understand? You say, And they're going to say, well, we don't have any choice because of what Russia did to us. Russia didn't do this to you, okay? Your president, this actor, okay, he campaigned on making peace in the Donbass, and the, following the minxed peace process, signing it, ratifying it, and having that whole thing done. No more civil war, prosperous country. It's not difficult to envision how that would have unfolded, but that's not what he did when he got into office. Okay, He then became the puppet of Washington. Washington wanted this war against Russia. Zelensky obliged. That's why Ukraine is in the position they're in, which is a dysfunctional rump state that pretty soon, the longer this conflict goes, it's not going to have a coastline on the Black Sea. Odessa, all of that, it's going to end up as part of uh, historic Nova Russia, absorbed into the Russian Federation. The longer this goes, okay, that's just a fact. Okay, But, you know, anybody with a brain saw this coming two years ago, and even before that. So you really can't complain at this point. Zelensky, Ukraine, NATO... You guys are all in it, thick like thieves. Everyone's getting paid. Everyone's doing well out of it, except for the people of Ukraine and the country of Ukraine. They're not doing well. And unless you're in government, you're not going to get 
your hands on all that Western cash, which is being embezzled as we speak, probably into bank accounts, various and sundry in the Cayman Islands, Cyprus, and then some. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you to Christian James, Basil Valentine, and you guys, the listeners here at TNT Today's News Talk. Stay on the network. There's more to come. 24-7, 365, talk radio, audio, visual. It's all here. Patrick Henningsen signing out. See you tomorrow. <laughs>